0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, where we look forward to a world in which Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping traditions alive. I'm your host, Pamilia Chia, and today I'm joined by Evelyn Yap, who is a chef and founder of Happy Vore, which is a social enterprise platform that merges her love for food and her husband, Calvin's talent for producing media content. Working closely with small scale farmers and artisans in Thailand, Evelyn hosts supper clubs and dining events in Southeast Asia and the United States. In this conversation, she chats with me about her journey being a chef and supporting Thai farmers, as well as how her Singaporean roots have impacted her approach to food.
1: Shall we start by finding out a little bit about your heritage and background? Can you tell me about the kind of upbringing that you've had in Singapore? What dialect group do you belong to? So I was born and raised in Singapore. I'm the lucky ones who
2: grew up with mom's cooking, and she's a great cook. And uh, dad was an entrepreneur, but wasn't book smart. But he gave four kids a very comfortable life. So I was the youngest and actually had the most times with dad. So he actually had a car workshop, and what? Because when I was young, I like to eat Western food, Japanese food. So he will always bring me. And you can see that he doesn't enjoy it, but he's doing it because I, I like doing it. <laughs>
0: yeah. So,
2: but me and mom had a few rough years. It's only when I moved out of Singapore and we got better. Um, mm. My heritage is Nanya and Hokkien. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's my grandma, <laughs> but my mom is not. But, but my mom still cooks Nanya food yeah okay wow and then it's like uh after secondary school i went to Shatek, hoping to mm. learn kitchen but both my parents disapproved because it's like go shouldn't be in in the kitchen and my aunt had to come in to be the middle person and we had to sit down on a table and talk about it and come to a compromise that okay i can do the B side but i can't do the cooking side So, I apprenticed at Hilton and then after that, I was always sneaking into the kitchen, sneaking into the chocolate rooms. And then after that, I did a couple of things like uh, in selling supplements in GNC, Mm. selling wines. So, Mm -hmm. looking back of what I have done, it's always the same industry, food, wine service and nutrition.
1: Mm. So, what were you doing at the Hilton
2: Hilton, I was just doing... Because um, they sponsored me. I got the scholarship. So I was doing all the front. So we were doing like um, lounge area, banquet area. And
1: mm. yeah. Okay. And how did you eventually persuade your, your family members to allow you to be a chef? I know that you became a chef at the age of 33. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Because I moved out in China. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> so you moved... You moved to China.
2: Yes. And I started helping out my husband films production. And uh-huh. I was doing mainly doing with client relationship. But then I got sick due to the pollution mm-hmm. and the lifestyle. As when I was in Singapore, everything is like so protected, you know. So there's no such thing as pollution. But China was really bad. It's like when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you check is the pollution index.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, Which part so, of China were you
2: in? Beijing. I was in Beijing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was spending a lot of time in the doctors. Then it, um, I lost my taste bud at a point. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we went to ENT but couldn't find out what was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I start um, taking matters in my own hand. So I start cooking for myself. I went vegetarian, I went raw food, I wow. totally, yeah, just went out 100%, quit smoking, quit drinking, went for one cold turkey. Oh
1: my and gosh, how was that? How was that like?
2: <laughs> I think it just forced you to do that because you, you have no choice. Yeah, I have no mm. choice. So it's okay. almost like a survival mode. Mm. So eventually, I got back my taste but I I spent a lot of time in the kitchen and found joy doing it. Mm. So Kelvin did ask me like do I want to go back to cooking school? Do I want to go? I was like I, I wasn't very sure at that time because it's like cooking is something you had to start young. Mm, so true. Yeah, and of course the first thing the parents like you say, the first thing they ask, you don't want to have kids? <laughs> yeah. Typical so, yeah. question.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know that you worked at this place called rustic Canyon and I absolutely love I mean I've never been, but I've been stalking them on Instagram and I have the book on vegetables by Jeremy Fox, right? Yes. Um, I really love the way that he approaches vegetable cooking. So can you tell me why did you choose to work there? Was it because you were very into like vegetarian cooking and learning how to make vegetables delicious without meat?
2: Yeah, so I love and discovered vegetable vegetables. Like I told you, it's only because to heal myself. Yeah. And then how I landed into Rustic Canyon was I was a fan girl of Chef Jeremy. And then like you say, like some people still don't know who is he, but I would advise people to look him up and see
1: mm.
2: Chef Jeremy. And he has a book called On Vegetable, like you say. Mm. And you can see amazing things that he can do with vegetables and bring it to fine dining standards. And Mm. it was ahead of the time at that moment as well. So when I went to States for my honeymoon, I went to Rustic Canyon to eat and to meet him. So I talked to him, telling him I was planning to go culinary school. And he gave me his email and told me, uh, write to him when i'm ready so when i completed my studies i wrote to him mm. and to be honest at that time when i went to the kitchen i had no idea what they were cooking or what they were representing but rustic canyons um, farm to table ethos and culture had taught me and shaped me how i cook and until now, I'm still very proud and lucky to be part of it. So, because it's like being in the kitchen for a few years now, it's like the kitchen that resonate with you have a very big impact on how you cook, how mm, you approach true. to things. So for me, kitchen culture is actually a very important thing.
1: Mm. Yeah. So what did you really learn from from Chef Jeremy and... His restaurant. I mean, I mean, coming from an Asian background or you know Singapore, which is very, very like meat and seafood centric, right? It's I I think for someone of our age group, it's always on the table in almost every dish. Mm-hmm. To go from that to like eating no vegetables um, and cooking with vegetables, how do you think? Um, how do you think you adapted to, to that process? And what do you learn from the restaurant to make vegetables delicious?
2: I think when I was in Rustic Canyon, they will always have... Every week, we go to the farmer's market to pick up the produce. And then we will taste the produce at its prime. It's like something I think in Singapore, we don't have that mm. that chance to try food at its prime. Because you know? yeah. everything, when it's imported, something is taken away. Yeah, And I think... For when Chef Jeremy teaches you, show you the dishes, <clears throat> and he practiced the root to root to root, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the leaf, the plant, yeah. <laughs> so he teach you everything, and I remember we had a sit down after when I was planning to when I was leaving, and he gave me a one to one check, and he was like saying. Uh, because there was this fava bean pesto that he did mm. and it was taking up once we sh- shell the fava beans and then the shell he mm. asked me to roast the shell yeah. and then we chop it up because
0: uh-huh. usually that
2: part we just thro- throw it away mm. and then he did ask me is it the best pesto then I was like uh, I, to me it's like <laughs> It's not the best, but should I offend you or should yeah. I say the truth? So mm-hmm. all I say, uh, it's not really. They say, yes, that's not the point. The point is to because the farmers spend so much time and hours in cultivating Throwing. this plant. Mm-hmm. So for us to just throw it away, have a thing about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was the part where the
1: mentoring affected a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean from back then when you had no choice but to quit animal eating and like eating dairy and things like uh, do you are you a vegan or vegetarian? Now flexitarian. Yeah. <laughs> flexitarian? Okay. So I mean from, from back then, you know, you you had no choice but to adopt a vegetarian mm-hmm. lifestyle. To now, do you genuinely enjoy eating vegetables? Yes,
2: style? I still do love enjoy eating vegetables more. So, it's like even mm. my daily, how to say, my daily lifestyle is probably uh, lunch and breakfast is very controlled. So, I always mm. make d- meals plant-based for myself. But then dinner is the time where I add in a bit more protein so that the family members mm. can eat. I don't want them to be mm. feel tortured, you know. So...
1: Yeah. Mm. yeah and so you know after being a chef now you're in thailand and you're doing some advocacy work mm-hmm. is that the right way to put it can you, can you tell me more about that transition and what exactly you do now
2: well before i went into pursuing culinary i was always inspired by those as esple- establishment that has an impact mm-hmm. outside the four walls i think it's the age thing where you have that kind of sensibility. So mm-hmm. after being blown away by the time in California, I wanted to do something similar in Thailand. So Kelvin and I took a month driving up all over Thailand to visit organic farmers, hoping to find supplies mm-hmm. at the time. But because the time, organic mm-hmm. is still quite niche. Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, can I ask why Thailand? Actually, Thailand was a pit stop.
2: We, we were in Beijing and then Thailand was a pit stop for me to go to school and then we were planning to go to Australia. Mm. And this road trip is the reason we are still here now.
1: Oh,
2: yes. wow. So this road trip of the visiting to the farmers and then um, when we have a bond with the farmers, they told us the challenges they were facing and the climate change, industrialization, and systemic change. But bear in mind that I was born and raised in Singapore. All these things are very new. Being out mm-hmm. in a farm is really very exotic. Mm-hmm. So when you hear such things, you feel a little shaken and mm-hmm. injustice. So, yeah. I mean, you read... A few topics here and there on the internet, but to have someone to tell you straight in the face is a different feeling. Mm. It has a That's big, so true. yeah. So, and five years ago, it was pretty uncharted water topic. So, the information combining with the skills of what Kelvin and I have, so we decided to do supper clubs. So, we invite people to the table tell them the stories of the farmers, talk about food waste, climate change. And for for a while, we were like the underground garage band, just doing Mm. our own thing. And we grew organically into the industry and cooking the food the way I want to cook. And also Mm. connecting to like-minded chefs to join powers to support farmers as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So what is the core mission of what you are doing right now? How how are you helping farmers?
2: So right now what we have been able to do is we along the way we have managed to pull some small scale farmers to Michelin chefs so they are getting mm-hmm. produce from them and then we also did um we did a fundraising before an event where for to, to repair the Broken roof of a farm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We are always trying to do little things one step at a time.
1: Mm. And how has working so closely with farmers impacted you as a cook and as a chef?
2: I think when you are so close to the source, it gives you different perspective and mm. like I said, it's it's we are more sensitive towards it, you know. As in it's not just bag of rice but it's someone who has spent hours under the hot sun bending bags just to feed their family so is Mm. it just a bag of rice or is it something more
1: you know after having moved to thailand and having an intimate look at the way that some ingredients that we use back in singapore like gulam laka or mung beans right are produced how how do you think I mean, what was your response to
2: that? I think I was like, holy shit.
1: (laughs) This is is so much
2: more work than what I expect. And there is such a deeper meaning and insight to food itself. Because it's like Mm. something we consume every day. But Mm. we are so blind towards it. Because it's like, it's just, just walk and then we get it, it's done. So we don't mm. think about the stories behind how is it actually derived from. That's why i's mm. like, I would suggest people to go get a pot, get some seeds, plant, and see if you have a new perspective from that.
1: Mm, so true. So I, I was looking at your Instagram and I realized that you champion a lot of regional ingredients that... I think a lot of Singaporeans never, ever cooked before, but is present at some of our markets. So things like cowslip flowers, right? So why, why did you feel this need to share about, um, about these kind of produce and shed light on it?
2: I think to be honest, I never knew about all these vegetables as well when I was in. Mm. I only know about them when I moved to Thailand and went exploring into wet markets and visiting farmers. And sometimes they will just send me products from their farm and I learn from them. So I think because Singapore is also not an agriculture country, it really limits the kind of product we get. And we don't know what is out there because our habits have changed into more of supermarket as opposed to wet market. Because in wet market, I think there's more diverse products out there. Mm. So it it's like one example, when I went to, when I go back to Singapore to do pop-ups and during the events, before the main dish arrived, I tr- usually throw a little curveball to the diners where yeah. I will serve a bowl of steamed heirloom rice. You can mm. see people like puzzled like, why are well, you serving me plain rice? But when we explain the product, the origins, how it is, and like the rice that we brought down is called pet ratri. And it's actually um, organic grown from one farmer in Isan only. And it's a breed whereby she just played around and it has a certain aroma and taste and texture that is very special and 80 percent of the harvest is given to wildlife eating so they only harvest 20 percent. but in business standpoint that doesn't make sense Mm. but because it's so special at the end of the dinner people will just tell me oh i don't eat rice usually but this rice was really special
1: Mm. wow It sounds so good, like so. It's a lot of storytelling in your dinners, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, what about some of the in- interesting ingredients that your favorite ingredients that you have highlighted from Asia or from the region?
2: Uh, my favorite, I would say favorite, but the ones that I consume more, I guess, is counted as favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually it's like green mangoes called kamin but i'm not sure i haven't been back to in singapore so long i don't know if they carry curcumin that. isn't that no um, uh green mango they call it mangoes, yeah. there's this breed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so many bread and i yeah, really like green, man-
1: green mangoes are quite common in the wet markets i i feel but i think a lot of people only know how to cook it in one way which is like green mango salad all right? <laughs>
2: yeah Yeah. but actually when you ferment it Mm. or you can put it into sweet application it's actually quite nice or actually Mm. you just um juice it and make it into sabiche, marinate it It makes sense yeah
1: yeah sounds good when i was working at um at a restaurant uh, one of our Indian kitchen helpers, right? She was preparing this dish of um, green mango curry, green, man- green mango and fish curry. and I was like it was the first time I had ever tasted green mango cooked and the texture was so nice oh. and it was like so appetizing. Have you ever had it in a curry? No no, oh, you should try. <laughs> Just cut it into, yeah. yeah, cut it into cubes and then like allow it to simmer in the curry. It becomes like this super like silky, tender texture. Cool, I'll try. Mm. Yeah, so okay, from a Singaporean perspective, right, you know, as I said, a lot of our food is imported. So I, I, I suppose a lot of listeners might be wondering, why should I care? You know, why should I care about how my food is grown in like, say, Thailand, uh, when I'm so disconnected from the whole supply chain and process? So what do you think is the point of relevance for Singaporeans?
2: Um, people did ask me before many a times. Even from when I do pop up in mm. Singapore and when I do dinners in Thailand, they're like, "Oh, um, thank you for showcasing our farmers. Yeah, thank you for making us proud." And then th- Singapore will be like, "Why do you have to do that? This and that." But actually, <laughs> if you think about it, we are. It's all connected. The Mm. food here grown is shipped to Singapore. So you are consuming it. So it's linked, it's connected. And at the end of the day, it's like we live on the same planet, you see. Mm. And I
1: I still think climate change is real. Mm. And yeah... Hmm. So other than climate change, what are some other social issues that you work with, Kelvin, to um, spotlight?
2: Uh, when we started, our intention was just to bridge the gap of diners and the farmers, showcasing mm-hmm. the organic small-scale farmers, telling their stories along with it, hoping diners will get some new knowledge at the end of the day. And we did a lot of pop-up in farms, Cooking mm-hmm. in non-existence kitchen. It was very really stressful, but it was something that we did. I think it's pretty cool to have that experience because not many people can do that. And along the way, like I mentioned, I we did the fundraising project for the f- uh, farm, fixing of the upkeepings. And in the first wave of COVID, a group of chefs and friends, we came along and raised funds, cooked for the hungry, for the people at the slums. We are still doing it now, until two years now. And But the, since we are talking about COVID, the last two years have been difficult. Mm. made me evaluate everything and saw how I came back to the loop of health. Because mm. at that During COVID, I was down for a period of time. And, you know, then you read a lot of mental health issues rising, fear, Mm -hmm. a lot of uncertainty. But at the end of the day, there are so many things you can't control. But I know for Mm -hmm. sure everyone has control of their health. Mm -hmm. And so I am actually in the middle of pursuing Holistic Nutrition Certified. So oh, wow. I plan to be that platform to educate consumers, diners, the younger generation about all the nutritions and things because I think food disorder, insecurity, mental health is something everyone goes through. Mm-hmm. And I think, for especially for younger generation, I think right now is... I feel it's difficult growing up in this generation whereby... Why? You know, when when our generation, we had pages, we had pen pal, everything was like <laughs> quite romantic, you know. But yeah. now, right now, those people, the younger generations right now is so in your face, social media, mm-hmm. the kind mm-hmm. of pressure I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why the mental health is also rising. So that is why I've been posting on TikTok, though I still don't really know how to dance on uh, tiktok but i'm trying to <laughs> show <Good job. laughs> mm. reach out to them by showing them how to cook help something healthy for themselves so it's like funny thing is i came back to why i started cooking again for mm. health so that's why to be taken more seriously i had to get myself certified
1: Mm. and I feel that that's something that a lot of people don't talk about, which is the link between the gut and like the mind, right? I think now more and more research is coming up about how the food that you eat can have a positive or negative impact on your mental health. Because at the end of the day, the food that we eat
2: it provides nutrients to our body, and mm. the the kind it's like the input you put to the body, it affects the whole human being sometimes even like a breathing exercise or whatever yeah. it helps a lot you know mm. just doing like inhale five breath hold for yeah. seven seconds breathe out nine <laughs> seconds oh wow that's like the meditation app yeah but but you just <laughs> do it for like less than a minute you feel so yeah. much better and more clarity
1: kind of stuff mm. Mm. i don't sound hippie (laughs) (laughs) yeah but from the perspective of mental health right so why why can't people just go out and buy meals why why do you think it's so important for them to learn how to cook their own meals to boost mental health
2: because it's like when you go out and buy food firstly the quality will always not be as good as the ones that you pick. And Mm. also, cooking is not just about the food intake, but it's also about the the mindset. Because when you cook, it's kind of therapeutic as well. So Mm. it kind of slows you down and just shut off the, the world for a second and just focus on. I think this is kind of meditation itself. And mm. when you actually cook for yourself, you take your time to eat more, That the, you sl- eat more mindfully and it's, how does it, there's more intention. Yeah, because when you buy from outside, you just like, yeah,
1: you buy, yeah, when you
2: buy outside food, you just like gobble down in like, <laughs> and then that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and you actually know what goes into your food when you actually cook it yourself, right? Yeah. Mm. so now that you're based in thailand and i mean you've been all over the world china us now thailand how do you think your growing up years as a singaporean or your identity as a singaporean has really anchored you or influenced the way that you view food
2: my singaporean roots definitely exposed me to many cultures growing up and that was the advantage i think for us singaporeans to have because we have embrace so many cultures and develop a palette since young and that's why we have the ability to fusion dishes Mm. and i know fusion is such a bad word but i think it's like overrated (laughs) because if you you take a step back and look at cuisines in the world it's fusion everywhere you know it's like japan ramen has chinese roots indian food over centuries like different parts of indian food have different fusion depending which part they are at same Mm -hmm. like thailand it's like there's laos there's chinese there's indian influence so does that make fusion food bad as long Mm -hmm. as it tastes good no at the end. Yeah, but a
1: lot of Singaporean cooking is also very fusion, right? Yeah, I mean, like, like Chinese cooking, which is like British and Chinese, and then like things like even laksa or you know any other national dish like chili crab. I don't know whether chili crab is, but um yeah, things like satay bihun or things like yong tau fu. It's all a, a result of people mingling and putting their own spins on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also noticed what you said because um. So I'm not sure if you know, but currently I, I live rurally in, in Australia. Okay. And I realized that I I grew up assuming that everyone grew up with such diverse options for mm-hmm. food or like they grew up being adventurous. But now when I'm here and I chat with my friends, you know, I realized that what we have in Singapore is a real gift, you know, this diversity that we don't realize. Yeah. yeah. So... So for you, like how do you how did you harness this into the work that you currently do? I think this became prominent
2: as when I went into a career more and then I cook more because I don't usually cook Singapore food, but I use the influences and mm. the because I live in China, the exposure yeah. of food is another level. And I draw different parts of places I've been and infuse them in a way whereby it makes sense, you see. And mm. I think usually Asian have a more uh, sensitive palate. We are able to pick herb flavours more. I don't know why, <laughs> or maybe I'm... I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So can you give me some can you give our listeners some tips on how to make vegetables delicious from all of your experiences or like, you know, from your um, your time in the restaurant maybe, like what are some of your favourite ways to make vegetables taste good?
2: I think for beginners, for vegetarian food, invest in spice and herbs. Hmm. These will change your mind on how vegetables actually taste. Because actually, if you think about it, if you look at a piece of meat, you cook it, does it have more taste and flavor compared to a vegetable?
1: Yes, it does. Maybe? Really? <laughs> like a piece of meat has so much um- so much umami, right? Because vegetables are very watery in my opinion. I mean, I never used to like vegetables. But and vegetables have sweet notes. Sweet notes, bitter notes. Yeah, true, true. But I always feel that, because for me, right, I was a huge meat lover. And then after I started living in Australia and like you, I I was more aware of climate issues because of the bushfires and things like that. And so I started adopting a more vegetable centric diet. And uh, for the first few months, it was terrible. Like I was constantly hungry. I always never felt satisfied. Um, I kept craving for meat. And uh, I felt that vegetables really do need a lot of care compared to meat. Like, for example, if you have a piece of steak, you can just salt and pepper and sear it on both sides and it will be, like, so delicious. Mm -hmm. But for vegetables, I mean, you can also do it the same, like, you know, treat it like a piece of meat. But I do think that they need a lot of help with, like, textures and flavours.
2: Yeah, that's for sure Um. Vegetables, you actually need to put a bit more effort to make it tasty.
1: Yes, yeah. so, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's why it's like spices. All this comes into mm. help to boost yeah. the flavors, and also you won't get bored eating because I think for Asian, especially we always boil or stir fry.
1: Yeah,
2: so it gets very boring with oyster mm. sauce and fried onions and just. I mean, so how true. there's many ways you can eat vegetables, not just this way, you know. Mm. Yeah, So, I think that's why people, from my knowledge is people like vegetables if they are well prepared. And mm. when sometimes people hear it's vegetarian food, they're like, ugh. It's because they always have bad experience with vegetarian restaurants and everything.
1: So, mm. yeah. So true. And also, I think in Singapore, we always think of vegetables as like a side dish, right? Rather yeah. than like the main thing. Um, so how do you make vegetables the main stuff of your meals, you know, that you serve at your supper club?
2: Um, how do I say? It's like when, when I have a vegetable, I will think of how it tastes and then and try to make it interesting enough but yet familiar. You, need, you always need to have it familiar and not go way too far because if you go too far away, people will not understand. So mm. it's like the one of the <coughs> famous um, beet dish that we have at Happy Vore is basically we bake the beetroot mm. and then we cut it thinly and shape into a perfect circle. And the excess, we will just juice it and then we will um, dry the pulp and make it into beet soy. This was mm-hmm. learned from Jeremy. And then the juice, I'll make it with um, homemade cheese and the whey liquid. So the whey liquid and the beet juice is made into the dressing. Ooh,
1: so, yum.
2: Yeah, so, you, so when people eat this, you can always see people when they have a plate of beetroot, the face is like, red it goes red like no no (laughs) but when they when you tell them how to eat it and then when they eat it they won't stop it's always clear yeah
1: Yeah. i think i've seen that dish like it's quite a famous dish right and yeah um, rustic canyon um i think they do with berries if i'm not wrong is it berries and
2: avocado that's the rustic canyons did it with bits and berries so my take is beets and homemade cheese and whey liquid.
1: Yeah. Oh yum, yeah. I love that. Yeah, so how how do you think you have really showcased um the ingredients of Thailand through or, or Southeast Asia through your food?
2: I because all the dishes that we use for our dinners is always locally sourced. We don't mm. use imported stuff. As much as people will always say, oh, there's no value. I don't feel there's value. There's no wagyu. There's no truffle and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think when they come in and sit down and have a meal here, listen to the story, what we have to say, they, they would understand. And mm-hmm. most of the time, like when it's fourteen table, uh, 14 guests, one of them will always have the mind change, and at the end of the day, they were like, Oh, thank you so much for this. It has been very interesting. It gave me new knowledge and insight. And yeah,
1: oh, so wonderful. it's always like
2: a, a win battle. At least one person we are met, ma- we managed to change one person, you know.
1: Mm. Yeah. I always find the tidbits that you share about the. The regional ingredients, very interesting. Because, I mean, usually sometimes it's a, a lot of the plants I've never worked with before. Yeah, because even even like the cow slip is like, usually when you
2: ask a seller what to do with it, they'll tell you in Thailand, Tom, mm-hmm. gang Pat. Meaning it's boy, mm-hmm. curry or soup and stir fry. So when they tell me this kind of thing, I usually will listen to them go and try a recipe with one method and taste how the mm. vegetable actually tastes. And then from there, you uh, evolve and play with it. Just like the cow sleeper pancake. To be honest, it's still mm. tastier in soup as compared to the one that yeah. I did on the pancake. But I think it's just to... I think when I do it on a pancake, it feels more accessible to people. People will be like, oh, you can do this, so there there'll be more willing to go and try and just mm-hmm. have. I love fun that. I
1: them. I love that there is mm-hmm. such a. I mean, it's such a great framework for learning how to use regional ingredients. I feel like people are always very um, hung up hung up about the right way to use a vegetable, rather than having that spirit of playfulness and and you know, not being afraid to fail and to make something that doesn't taste like fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I've definitely learned myself. Like, you know, how to regard every kitchen experience as not like, oh, success or failure. Because even if you fail, it's always a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Methodally.
2: And it's just food at the end
1: of the day. So true. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really loved finding out about you know the crazy, interesting things that you are doing, and yeah, I'm very jealous at all the Southeast Asian ingredients that you have on your fingertips.
2: <laughs> thank you for having me. I I've been reading up and listening oh. to your podcast recently. It's really good. It's really good, nice topics that you have covered, and I think um, for your age, I think you're doing very oh, good as well. You. And it's like it's. It's so positive, you know, to see so so many blooming individuals mm. coming up. Thank you for doing what you're doing.
0: That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Evelyn Yap of Happy Vore. We now stand at the crossroads where we're witnessing the vanishing of traditional dishes and the gradual erosion of our rich food culture. Now more than ever, we have to encourage one another to get back into the kitchen to cook food from our heritage. Singapore Noodles is offering a membership dedicated to equipping anyone with everything that they need to start cooking local. Visit sgpnoodles.com to find out more. Once again, thank you for listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast where we believe in a world where Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping traditions alive.